Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so today's episode is brought to you by Zencaster. And I remember back in the day where I was looking at putting together Zencaster, I was looking for a solution that would really help me in putting things together. And essentially, this is what allowed me to bring deal makers to life. I mean, basically, Zencaster, what it is, is an all-in-one solution where you just send the link to the person that you're looking to interview. Essentially, they would plug in their computer with their video, with the audio, and then basically you are good to go. You would just piece everything together, give it to your audio engineer, or even edit it yourself, and you are off to the races. Now, if you're looking at getting into podcasting, you should definitely check Zencaster out. And you could also get a 30% discount. And this is a discount code that you will be able to redeem by going into Zen, and that is csnzebraen.ai forward slash dealmakers and then number zero. And lastly, you know, I was very much blown away when I found out that investing in wine has been one of the best kept secrets amongst the ultra wealthy. And this is now not the case anymore. You know, I came across this solution, which is called VinoVest, and they are a great, great solution that allows you to diversify investing by implementing or including wines into your portfolio. I mean, take a look at this. Wine has one third of the volatility of the stock market, and yet it has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized revenues. So it's a really good way to diversify your portfolio. And you could also get two months of free investing by just going into the Send and that is csnzebraen.ai forward slash dealmakers. And by just going there, you will be able to redeem your discount. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we're going to be talking quite a bit about going from the investing side to the operating side and, and you name it, you know, and also pattern recognition when it comes to really placing the bet. So I guess. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, and that is James Cachopo. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Thanks for having me. So let's do a little of a walk through memory lane, uh, Jim. So uh, originally born in the Bahamas, but, uh, you know, a little bit of in between, between Miami and Bahamas. So tell us about life growing up. Yeah. So, yeah, I was born on in the Bahamas. I spent nine years there, a small town on the beach. It was fabulous. Loved it. And then... Um, Family moved to uh, Miami uh, back before Miami was Miami. I mean, it was uh, totally different uh, back then, and it was great. And and, uh, and then made my way to New York, where I, you know, learned the world of finance and investing. Nice. So let's talk about you know going to business school because first you went to New York, you know, where you were for a while. I mean, thirty years. I mean, more than a while. Uh, okay. But uh, going to business school was uh, really what opened your eyes on what was going on as well around the investment side of things. So how did you get into the whole hedge fund uh, space? Yeah, so I went to Harvard Business School and, and uh, so I was very lucky uh, and I was able to you know, get into the investment banking world, which gave you all the you know, tools to value companies and 
understand industries and you met a lot of people, both in business school and investment banking. And I was lucky enough to fall into the hedge fund world, looking for a job in 1995 before anybody knew what they were. Uh, I had friends used to make fun of me. Hey, what are you doing in hedge funds? Everybody's in technology and private equity in 1995. Obviously, the hedge fund world did very, very well. You know, at the peak of the, you know, uh, craziness in the industry was, you know, about 2007. And I had a great run there. I ended up leaving a, a very well-known one at the time that I joined. It became a billion four, billion five in assets called Halcyon. And I went to a small one that was 300 million. And we, you know, we, we built it to five and a half billion. I was just, as a president, I was a co-portfolio manager. I ran the whole, the whole, the whole company and, and I ran uh, a portfolio of distressed securities, which is a very challenging and super exciting area. And then in 2006, I started my own, uh, where, where, you know, I became, uh, you know, majority owner of a company controlling uh, shareholder. Uh, and we, we raised two and almost two and a half billion in 14 months, which was, you know, a, a, a really, you know, uh, fabulous uh, start. And, and, uh, um, and you know, it's a, a super exciting business to be in and uh, it gave me a lot of things that I uh, use in, in the cannabis business right now. And when it comes to the investing side, I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about pattern recognition. So what are your thoughts on pattern recognition when it comes to placing bets? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you're looking, you're, you're, you're looking to get, you know, uh, very good deals. You're looking to get things, um, you know, distressed securities. If you think about it, I'm, I'm buying things that are out of favor. I'm buying things that people don't see where the value is, and, and with a plan to turn it around, right? Distress. It's, it's usually, you know, the management team needs to be changed. Uh, the business plan needs to be changed. The strategy and communications of the uh, strategy. So yeah, all of that stuff needs to be changed to create value. So you know, noticing situations like that, you know, where you're getting in early or, or, or you're, you're, you're taking something over that you can really uh, turn into something else. You know, we've done that quite effectively at Jushi uh, in the cannabis industry. Nice. So then let's talk about you getting into the cannabis industry because you moved to Miami and then as a result of uh, perhaps being there and, and taking a step away from, from being like super, super like full time on the on the hedge fund, maybe you know you you thought to yourself, hey, maybe I take a look at this uh, at this cannabis industry. So how was that uh, process like for you? Yeah, you know, Alejandro, you know that's a good point. Moving back down to Florida, in, in New York, it's just so you know so keyed up. Every there, there's kind of like a group think kind of going there, and and you have all your your you know uh, uh, business connections and friends, and you're you know just super focused on what you're doing, and it's sort of hard to get out of that. Uh, talk about pattern recognition. There's also just getting stuck in in what you're doing and the inertia of what's well, actually a very good business in, in the hedge fund world and distressed debt investing. And, you know, taking a breather, uh, not that I stopped working, but I, I started uh, uh, working like half the time that I was working. And so I had much more ability to think outside the box and get creative. Uh, people introduced the cannabis to me. And, and it's a product that I was familiar with from, from college and post-college years. You know, I thought it was a very good product. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. And, and, and I was like, wow, that, that, that could be really interesting. I didn't realize it's happening. It's going legal. Didn't even know, you know? So we, we, we basically decided to, you know, start investing in the area quite actively. And, and, you know, we started up in Canada with a, a few of the public companies, then with some private companies, both in Canada and the U.S., companies that grow the product, companies that supply um, hardware and, and, and hydroponics and all kinds of different things. You need to grow the product technology-based companies that service the industry. We, we invested in about 25 different companies 
and and you know it was highly successful right and so and so that's something you know that really sort of got me excited to start a company so then tell us about that moment where the whole idea of Jushi came came to came to you and and then how you went about incubating it and bringing it to life so you know it started out that the big the big boom was in Canada right you know the, the these companies were going public and getting enormous valuations um a bit you know a bit out of control you know uh you know a bit too high and and so you know we you know we you know we would invest in these things and they would grow up very very quick and we'd sell out and and we didn't see the competitive advantage in Canada um and then you know in, and then the other big space that we were involved in is uh, companies that service the grow industry they sell you products and we said you know those are going to follow the success of the grow business it's much harder you know and 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 you need to get technology right you need to you know you need to figure out what everybody else is doing and for us it seemed like the slam dunk was in the US because that's where the big business was to get involved in the grower uh, uh the grower processors and retail side of the business and in particular states where they limited licenses uh and 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 so the idea is you know states like Pennsylvania that were in Virginia Illinois there's a limited number of licenses they highly regulated they don't want too many people doing it they want to be able to control it and they want to allow us the, the, the initial operators a chance to you know actually do well so we would invest you know what's turned out to be hundreds of millions of dollars just for Jushi in the industry right so that was the focus uh, of what I thought would be good and then when I went out there and looked you know I, I was wow there's not any good companies to invest in no good management team so we founded Jushi on the idea of U.S. Uh, uh, you know, certain states in the U.S. being the place you want to be, where where the you know it's very ripe uh, to, to start businesses and be successful, and then you'd had need to have a really good management team. There weren't any out there that we could invest in, and that was the idea. So we incubated it in 2017 inside of my family uh, office hedge fund that that we just we just we just uh, start, had a couple deals. We pulled together the founding group. I pulled together the founding group, and and we raised about thirty five million dollars. And 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 then we went out there and executed on those couple deals. Uh, uh, we th th we just had the fourth anniversary of our company in January, and and you know we're four years old. Uh, we had no revenues. We were we were I like to say we had thirty five million dollars in a slide presentation, and we called ourselves a cannabis company. You know, fast forward to today, we have last year we did over two hundred million in revenue. We hope to we hope to grow to about 400 million in revenue this year, and we're doing great. And we have really a fantastic license portfolio that's highly recognized to be, you know, uh, in the industry amongst the analysts and other and uh, investors and and other uh, people who do this, our competitors, to be a really you know really nice group of uh, uh, licenses in the right state. And you were you were alluding to this uh, earlier. Um that you couldn't find, and, and I guess that goes to the pattern recognition of, of being able to invest in, in good companies, you know, which are formed, as you said, by, by great management teams. So yeah. you were talking about good management teams. What, what does a good management team look like? Well, I knew what it didn't look like. I, sold a, I, had, a, I had a position in a grow processor in Florida, and we sold it to a company named Ianthus. I didn't think they were the right management team. Guess what happened? That company went bankrupt. Um, so I knew that they weren't any good. And then and then, and then, and then, you know, there was another company I invested in uh, that had a big Arizona presence, and they went public, and 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 they ended up merging with Iansis, so they both went bankrupt. I actually sold at a profit both situations because I recognized that. So, so there was a lot of people, you know, in the industry who were promoters, 
uh, meaning like they're good at telling their story or they're good at telling a story that may or may not be their story, good at promoting cannabis as an investment. It seems like an easy thing, right? People love the product. It's in this illegal market. It's going from prohibition to illegal market. What a slam dunk. So people are throwing money at it and forgetting that you needed to execute on this. It's actually a really hard business. So you had all these people with no pedigree, no real good experience in a really tough, highly regulated business. So I knew that what was out there just was like, you know, to me, it was like amateur hour. And, and I decided that what we were going to put together was a group of, of people that had the skills to actually uh, uh, acquire great assets. So it started out with, you know, my investment skills and a, and a guy named John Barrick, who's my president at, at Jushi, who worked for me at One East and was able to always, my right-hand man running numbers, like looking at contracts and negotiating deals for me. And and so the strategic thought that that was bringing to the table, John's ability to execute that. And, and we brought these deals. And then we brought in Eric Mouth as a founder who, who, who'd gone on, he's gone on from Jushi uh, uh, last year, but, but, but he was great at sort of raising money and also, you know, putting out the, you know, good work for Jushi product, you know, with these founders of, of assets that he wanted to sell. And then we, we brought in a former CEO of one of the big Canadian companies, Organigram, who was uh, a founding investor and board director when, when we were private. And we had that sort of his, his lineage in cannabis and some of his contacts and some of his advice, which you know, was invaluable at the time. So that was a core group. And then we went out and we hired what we needed. Our first, we were a business development company. So it was people that would help us, you know, analyze and, and close deals, uh, a, a legal team, both on the cannabis side, the regulatory side, and also, you know, the kind who does M&A uh, and, and money raising. And then we, we broadened out to human resources. We needed a CFO. And so we just kept building to certain areas. And, and more lately, as we built the big operations, we hired a COO out of Anheuser-Busch. Uh, who you know operates on huge scale, the b- biggest beer company in the world, um, and and um, you know he was at McKinsey, uh, he he was at Anheuser Busch for ten years. This is a re- he went to Wharton, the real deal operator, right? Our our head of retails out of uh, Urban Outfitters. You've heard of Urban Outfitters, you know one of the top you know uh, concepts retail, especially retail concepts in the country. He was there for seventeen years. He he helped to found their anthropology unit, took it from two stores to seventeen stores. He's running our retail. So we brought we brought in you know a group of people that we thought like were really 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 good managers and on top of that early on we we got a cannabis management team you know who had been doing this forever in the cannabis business now they had never operated on the scale that they you know Leo Garcia Berg who's our COO at Anheuser from Anheuser Busch had he's our scale operator who understands the data the techniques how you do these things the SOPs I mean on scale how to manage people on scale. We had our cannabis people who understand the plant. They understand the they understand the genetics. They understand the growing conditions you need. They understand how you turn flour into extracted products into live resin or gummies or whatever it might be that we're going to sell. So we had we had multiple areas of expertise. We got everybody to work together and play nice together, and 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 that's what it takes. And you build that along the way. You don't do it all at once. You do it when you need it. Because if you do it all at once, guess what happens? You run out of money. <laughs> so we yeah, kind no, of did it and scaled it in over time. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So 
I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. What, what is the process too of enrolling someone, you know, of the pedigree and the caliber that you are, you know, sharing now with us, you know, members of the team? How do you do that for, for a company that doesn't have that much of a history? The initial group, we were the founders, right? So we were in there, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we basically uh, started the company, got the economics of founders, right? So that was, and, and, and we had the energy of founders and all that stuff. And the other people that we brought in, it was typically people who were about to do something big in their position, but they might be a little bit younger, 35, 40, you know, 32 years old, and you're giving them a shot to do it themselves for the, you know, without a boss, and maybe the boss being the CEO, right? So you're giving them the opportunity to be the, be the number one in that area. And you also, you know, you also incentivize them with stock options so they, they too can actually take part in the upside. And then, and then you you allow an environment where you know it's 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 high powered. You're all working together, and you're being creative, and you're and you're you're not wasting any time. There's not bureaucracy. It's not IBM. You know, there's no bullshit. You just go and you build and you go. You know, and you make decisions and and you collaborate. So that was the environment we created, and it's been very effective. And that as we got bigger and had revenue, it was it was easier to attract. You know, once we had like a big balance sheet, we raised we've raised over four hundred fifty million dollars now, right? It's almost a half of uh, that's almost five four hundred fifty million dollars. It's almost half a billion dollars, right? And and so we built this 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 company that did to over two hundred million in revenues last year, growing to hopefully around four hundred. So that's much easier to attract people who who are later in their career. You know, they've worked for you know the big entity. And, 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 you know, like, you know, you know, Anheuser-Busch, you know, that stock's gone nowhere. Beer companies aren't growing. And, yeah. and so they, they want a big opportunity to do well. So, again, you're attracting them in. You have this great platform with great people and they're taking less risk and they get the upside of options. So you sort of have that next stage that may be a little bit more risk averse and, 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 and more, you know, used to operating in, a, in, a, in an environment with more support. And you convince them through your successes and the people you have to join the team. Got it. Now, for the people that are listening and watching, so that they get it, what is the business model of Jushi? How do you guys make money? We build cannabis plants and, and retail stores, right? So we, we get licenses in states that are limited. So the the the, the like um, in Virginia, there's only five licenses to to grow and sell cannabises. We have an exclusive right to do it in Northern Virginia, which is a great area. And so you build the plant where you grow it, right? 
and process it into different products like gummies or you sell just the flour or pre-rolls, whatever that might be. And and then and then you 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 you, you build a retail establishment where the customer goes in and and buys it and and, and kind of like going to CVS and it's a lot of it's a lot of small transactions. You're you're servicing people they want. You build a website so they can easily go in and buy it on the website and then come in and just pick it up. So that's what you're doing is you're growing it and 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 you're packaging it, you're creating brands, and then you're selling it to them in, in your stores in in a license in a state, you know, that where you're allowed to do that and there's not too many other people doing it. That's the formula uh, for making uh, money. And each state, by the way, is like operating a different country. It has its own laws, it's illegal federally, so you can't take something you grow in Virginia and sell it in Maryland, or you can't sell it in Pennsylvania. It's a, it's, it has to be grown and sold in that state. Got it. Now, you know, something interesting here on your background, which is on the hedge fund side, you know, to a certain degree, you you develop that uh, that muscle of, of, of how to be able to be uh, with uncertainty, right? Uh, now, when you're building a startup, you know, when you're building a company, a company from nothing, you are dealing with the uncertainty at all times, but when you're building something as well in the cannabis uh, space, not only you have the issues of building a company from nothing, but then also building a company from nothing and dealing with the regulation that you need to comply with. So how is that process like being able to balance, you know, all of these different challenges at the same time? Alejandro, that's a great point. You know, it's, there's so much uncertainty. There's so much risk. Uh, you're operating in a federally legal business. You're absolutely right. So my experience was key in that. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, so not only, if I, you know, in, in hedge fund, every, every time you buy something that you don't know if it's going to go up or down and you have a track record, it's a very unforgiving industry. Your investors pay you, you know, really good fees with a performance fee. But if you don't perform, they take the money immediately. So there's this constant pressure and uncertainty. Are, are you going to have business next year? Because they, they can pull all, the, all their money out in an instant. So, so yes, you should dealing with the pressure, the risk and the uncertainty, the risk management. And and then on, on the flip side too, I already I started two different hedge funds, right? You know, so that, that grew to multi-billion dollars, big businesses with 150 people in one case and you know 50 or 60 in the other case. That's a lot of people, that's a lot of management to go from to, to go from zero, right? So so I had been through that. So it did prepare me for that, but nothing prepares you for cannabis. Cannabis is gotta be one of the most difficult industries. Yes, it's highly regulated, very, very difficult in each state. And each state's regulatory body is very different from the other. There's different people, there's different laws, there's different politics, and you have to deal with all three of those things in each particular state that you're in. Uh, and that's very difficult. And on top of that, it's federally illegal. So we don't have access to the regular way banking system like everybody else does. We're listed in Canada because we can't get listed in the U.S. So it's just like curveball after curveball, which is why... You know, people got excited about cannabis in 2015, 16. They they jump in and there's been wild ride. There's a lot of volatility. The stocks all went up, and and then there's been you know since then you know, they've come down. They've gone back up, and but there's been along the way with that down and up. There's been a lot of winners and lo- not a lot of winners, some winners, but a lot of losers. Uh, so you know, if there were might have been 30 public companies in the U.S. right now, only 10 are meaningful. About 10 companies that have restructured both in and outside of bankruptcy court, where people have just lost a lot of money. There are companies that traded a multi-billion dollar valuations now worth two or $300 million and never going back to multi-billion, never going back to a billion. So what, who, who, who the people thought were winners you know, three years ago you know, and who are the winners right now, completely different list of companies. 
And you were talking about being listed and being a publicly traded company. I mean, and also the fact that you guys uh, raised $450 million for the business. Throughout your career, you've raised billions, Jim. Yes. What do you think it takes to really become good at raising money? You know, it, honestly, it takes a track record. You know, it's so much easier when you have a track record. So the formula in the hedge fund business is you start small. You know, it's, it's your own money. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you're, you, have a, you have an uncle or a, a parent or, a, or, or some friends who have some money and you put together a small amount of money. That was the formula for years and years. Or, you know, and, and you get a track record and you just keep growing it. You know, if you look at great hedge funds out there, there's one, this guy's very famous, Dan Loeb, you know, third point partners. You know, this guy's a billionaire probably many times over and has usually successful business. But I remember him in 1995. You know, he, he had no money. You know, he, he, he turned his head, he closed his hedge fund down for a month while he went off and did yoga in India. And, 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 and he could do that. And, 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 and he just built this track record. And as he, you know, performed year in, year out, the money came and now, you know, he's built this huge business, you know, very famous hedge fund manager and, and, and sort of it's a track record, you know. And, and so and then if you look at, you know, so, so if you look at another way to get it is you go work at Goldman Sachs, you work in their trading desk, you, you get promoted to a partner, you have a track record, you can start a big hedge fund then. Then you don't have to just put together, you know, you know, a few million dollars and then, and, you know, you could probably start a few hundred million from different institutions and stuff, right? Or a billion like we did. We, we started out our hedge fund. We had a billion dollars in six months because we, we had the pedigree. We had the track record, right? So, so, you know, there's lots of ways to do it, but the track record is key to raising money, you know? So if you look at Jushi, you know, we started with this pedigree, a track record of doing it in other businesses. That was four years ago, right? And then now we have the track record of doing it in our business. Our track record of acquisitions, which is in our slide deck, if you look at, um, you know, our website, you know, just Jushi, J-U-S-H-I, and you go to the website, in, in our investor deck, you see our M&A track record. It is by far the best track record in the industry. You know, we're only right now in seven states. You know, we still have to do some acquisitions to fill out in some of those states, not all those states. Uh, there's some states were full, but um, some states like Ohio and Illinois, we can do more deals. But then we have another six states we want to get into. So there's plenty of M&A, and that track record um, allows us to raise money. Uh, and, and But also, it, it's, it's part of the incentive for getting involved in Juicy as a shareholder. We do keep doing interesting and creative deals. It's kind of like you're in a public company that has this great operation, but every time we do a deal, we create more value, you know? And, 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 that, and, and, and we haven't done any big bad deals or even small bad deals. So that, that gives us, you know, an advantage, you know, uh, uh, in attracting shareholders because they want to be with the company that's growing the fastest, which we are. We have the fast organic growth rate, but we can add deals on top of it and create value, for the, creative value for the shareholders. So it's all about the, is it accretive to the shareholders? And that's what we've been doing. And that's where our track record is. And how do you determine what to focus on when it comes to deal making? So listen, you know, you want to focus on certain states to start. Like who, who has a better regulatory structure uh, that, that allows you to start a business and go in and risk 50, 100 million in capital? Right. That's what it takes to get going in a, in, in a scale business. So is it a good state? You know, maybe we were lucky or combination of lucky and good or maybe we were just great. I don't know. But I, I have a feeling we were good and we were also lucky. We happen to pick our third, our first three big states were home runs. Virginia, you know, is, is, is going to go adult use in 2024. It's been the, the fastest changing medical market, going from a sleeping medical market to a solid medical market in, in a very quick time, as fast as we've seen it. 
and they're going to adult use. They're already approved for a January 1st of 2024, and it's getting pulled forward, we think, to maybe 23 or something like that or earlier. So that's that's really significant regulatory change. That's a that's a recipe for doing well. Pennsylvania, you know, we bought 18 dispensaries for $80 million. You have companies right now spending 80 to 100, $120 million even on just three dispensaries. So we picked a state that really has been historically the best medical state, period. Florida's been good. Pennsylvania's been better. Um, and and so, so, so we got involved in that. We also bought a grow processor during COVID, the first summer of COVID. There was a company that was completely out of money. They were running on fumes. Uh, so it's like they had, they had like a, uh, 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 they were on I-95 and they had to get to the gas station. And, and, and if they didn't get to the gas station, they were going to be stuck on the highway with 18 wheelers going by. And, and, and you didn't want to be them. And, and they, 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 we basically took their best asset, you know, at the best time. And, and it was, that was hard, by the way. So, and that gave us a vertical business in, 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 in Pennsylvania. Again, these are two great states, right? Uh, it's hard to go wrong in those two states. And then the third one is Illinois, which has been the you know the best adult use market. We have four fantastic dispensaries there. Four dispensaries that do eighty million of sales. It's, it's, it's just it's fantastic. So that to me is the key: is is identifying the best states to be in, investing in those states, not getting distracted from other BS where you're wasting your people, human resources, which are very limited supply in this business, or your financial resources given that's federally illegal, also very, very limited in supply. So it's the focus in the right states and then executing upon that, you know, operationally, which we've also done. Now, imagine, Jim, that you go to sleep tonight and you have a tremendous news. You know, and you wake up in a world five years later where the vision of Jushi is fully realized. What does that world look like? Well, listen, I think we're a national company. We're, we're probably, you know, it's probably legal everywhere. Uh, almost not, except maybe for like you know Alabama and and you know maybe Mississippi or Arkansas or whatever. I don't mean to pick on the Deep South, but you know they move a little slower for you know a product that's as progressive as you know cannabis, right? And 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 it, and in five years, it's probably not federally. It's probably not be scheduled completely and legal in every way federally. But there's probably been laws passed like the Banking Act. Uh, like, uh, uh, you know, it's not it's not a crime to possess it, you know, in certain quantities or something like that, you know, or they won't go after states and, and you can list in the U.S., uh, but you, know, you could have a full list and you could bank it, you know, a bank that 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 you would know the name of. Um, and so so, you know, it's some combination like that, you know, almost all the progressive states, every progressive state and every state that's kind of a swing state has gone uh, adult use. Uh, uh, the, the, the some conservative states that aren't as conservative as you think, like South Carolina, Georgia, have very robust uh, medical programs and are threatening to go adult use uh, uh, based upon what the politicians want to do or what the electorate wants to do. And so it looks like that. And Jushi is right in the middle of it. We're a top five company. Uh, we pass uh, uh, every other company to tier two company. And we, we're in the tier one. Um, and, and some of the companies have gotten taken out. Uh, by uh, beer companies or tobacco companies. Uh, so some of the largest companies have gotten bought by them. Uh, the Canadian companies have tried to come in and buy uh, in the U.S., but nobody's wants to sell to them because nobody wants their stock. <laughs> and they continue to do poorly. That's my, that's my uh, projection in five years. That's amazing. Now, there's one question that I typically ask the guests that come on the show, and that is, imagine I put you into a time machine, Jim, and I take you back in time. 
perhaps to that moment where, you know, you were coming out of business school, then you were getting into corporate and, and all of that stuff. And, and maybe, you know, like uh, starting to do your own thing, maybe like running the hedge funds, but, you know, essentially thinking about like running your own show. If you could go back in time and have a chat with that younger Jim and give that younger Jim one piece of advice before starting a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Okay, this is going to be very not very illuminating, I think, the Gen Zs or millennials because they're, for the most part, doing it. But for that gym, I would say go for it earlier. So I spent a lot of time going to the right schools, training at the right places, getting getting the – I was an auditor before uh, uh, a Harvard Business School. I went to Harvard Business School. I went investment banking for six years, you know, and then I trained at a, a, a great, great, great uh, hedge fund for five years. So I took it slower and got all these great skills. and then. You know, then did my own thing, right? I would just say go for it sooner. Get some good training and then just find that business you want to start, find that, you know, you know, area you want to be in, find that new thing over there or whatever, go for it. Just keep keep trying to do that. I, I, I'm very proud of what I've done, but I think there'll be a couple more interesting uh, things that I might have done that have been known for if I just would have went for it earlier. So I would just say, you know, Nike, well, you know, what's the Nike thing? Um, um, just do it. Just do it, right? Uh, just do it. Just go for it. Yeah. I love it. So, Jim, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? To me, uh, yeah, I would say, uh, you, you know, uh, if your investors want to go through our investor relation team, you know, they will get you up to speed. You know, if, 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 if you want to contact me, I, the best way to do it is to go through, you know, my assistant. I just can't give my email out to everybody and, and you know, get, and, get to, and, and get to me that way. Well, you know, I'm, by the way, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on the social media. I'm on LinkedIn. You can also message me on LinkedIn. You know, that, that, that's a really good way. I have Twitter account. You know, obviously, Twitter, you got to be careful. It's, you know, very, very public. LinkedIn, you have the more private message board, right? So we got that going, too. Amazing. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Great. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.